Welcome. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front, and we are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. I'm your host today, Delaine England, and I have a wonderful lineup. I am so excited about my two guests. We First of all, we have Liberty Mom, Carolyn Pippen, who is will be with us, who is both on the board of the citizens for the constitution i'm probably saying it not quite right and also on the board for why i love america.com and we are going to be talking about september being constitution month and after that we have doug yeman who is um the lead on quantum um i i thought i could go by my memory which is not a very good idea and he is a great businessman who is very involved in defending our liberties and we will be talking about one of my favorite topics food and food shortages one of my least favorite topics so that is is yet to come but right now we welcome carolyn pippen thank you delaine Thank, Thank you, you so much for being with us. We have such an exciting month coming up. We have just enjoyed yeah. Independence Day. We've had a wonderful, wonderful celebration, hopefully celebrating the independence of our country and celebrating the Declaration of Independence. I hope everyone took time to at least read it, if not study it and understand it. And um, But now we have another holiday coming up, which I it's one of my favorites. Um, outside of Christmas, I an Independence Day. I, it's right right in there with the Independence Day is Constitution Day. And yeah. Carolyn, you are on, on a committee that is really doing amazing things in this state. I am so excited for what is happening. Yeah. The yeah. the committee is called Why I Love America. Mm-hmm. And so tell us why the committee was formed. Why did it even come to fruition? Yeah, I'm going to add a couple things before I answer your uh, your question. And that is, I also am the executive director of an organization called Freedom Front of Utah, right? So there should be no question about where I stand on a number of different issues. And Absolutely. um, (laughs) Yes. And, you know, there was legislation passed in this last session in the Utah legislature in 2023 that declared September Founders and Constitution Month. And, and, you know, there are a lot of holidays that we really, I think, celebrate at this point as nothing more than a day off of work, right? even holidays that should have much greater significance than that. And there were a number of citizens in this case who decided to join together. I am, as you mentioned, on the board of Utah Citizens for the Constitution. And a couple of people, a handful of people, I think there are four of us who are on that board, joined with a number of other people, including you, Delane, 
Uh, we probably have another 10 to 15 people, I would just guess, who are involved in this effort. And we're um, working on things throughout the month of September that will allow us to celebrate and commemorate the founding of this nation that has really been a blessing to the world. I want to read really briefly, if you're okay, um, a letter that came out from Governor Spencer Cox after this legislation passed. And he it says, Dear Utah Cities and School, HB 179, and by the way, the sponsor of that bill is Representative Kevin Stratton, uh, in the Orem area, and that legislation passed nearly unanimously. I think there were two votes against two, out two, of the entire House senators. and Senate. Yeah. Two Democrat senators, yeah. 100% of the House voted for it, which is pretty impressive. I would consider that very bipartisan. I or maybe would as nonpartisan. Well. Maybe nonpartisan, yeah. completely nonpartisan rather than bipartisan. It was just not even partisan. Yeah, you know, I say all the time, I believe as much um, in debate and discussion and compromise as anybody else. But the, the main compromise was accomplished already in this country when we're talking That's policy, right. right? The main compromise, the most important compromise was the Constitution. And I am willing to compromise within that document. But too often, the requests and demands are to step outside of that document and compromise. And that is not the way this nation was set up. The great compromise is done. So anyway, I'm gonna read this letter. Dear Utah Cities and Schools, this is from Governor Cox. HB 179 was just put into law during the 2023 legislative session, which declares September to be Founders and Constitution Month. I encourage cities and schools to organize and plan in preparation of September. We are excited to celebrate together as a state the freedoms that so many have sacrificed for, the remarkable aspects of the Constitution that have paved the way for a human rights revolution, let's remember what that was, uh, and remains today, should be understood and celebrated by Utahns, Governor Spencer Cox. Uh, so this is something that we as uh, an entire state, an entire society within the state, ought to be able to celebrate and understand that this is an opportunity to come together. This is not something that should be divisive. This is not something that should be political. This is the Constitution of the United States on which our entire government, economy, and society was, was built. And that is unique in the history of mankind. And there's a reason, I was down at the border a couple months ago, um, taking a look at the things going on there. There is a reason our borders, when they're open, are flooded. Yes. Right? It's because of this document. That is exactly right. Because of these amazing ideas. And if you, if you do any research at all, you find that our country and our constitution was founded on the laws of God that they were literally founded on it. In fact, an Ivy League university did, and they did, they spent 10 years researching the, the original sources of the parts of the constitution. They spent 10 years, and I don't know how many millions of dollars researching it. And would, any, would you care to guess where they found the number one source 
of the principles and things that are put in the Constitution. Okay, so I'm going to guess, and okay. I, I don't know the answer, but based on what you just said, I think I can guess it's the Bible. That's exactly right. <laughs> I know, I didn't even give Carolyn any heads up. I just asked her that right on the show. But, <laughs> but that's she's okay. so smart. Your lead-in lead was full <laughs> of leading information. It's self-evident. It is self-evident. And they spent it 10 is. years researching this, and they said the number one source by far light years ahead of any other source was from the Bible. And then even the other people like John Locke and Blackstone, even where they got there, they quoted them and they contributed them as the source, but then they admitted that their source was the Bible. So hmm. that it, it, and if you read the constitution and you start to understand it, it's amazing how many of these principles you can go right to the Bible and you can find those principles right in the Bible taxation, science. It is absolutely amazing. So Delane, this may be um, a little off topic, but I was, but not necessarily. I was reading an article this morning about an elected official, um, sadly from Utah, who was talking about the lack of trust in institutions and how pointing out that lack of trust was destructive to our nation. And I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was writing an article and we keep hearing this lack of trust in our, in our institutions and lack of confidence. And there is an absolute complete breakdown um, yes. of trust in our institutions because of the actions of those within these institutions. But I was writing this article and I, I, I started saying something about trust in our institutions and I stopped myself. I could not write those words because I talked about reestablishing trust. And I thought, no, no, no. Our founders never wanted us to trust our institutions. And if we understand Absolutely. Right. If we understand this document, the Constitution, if we understand the wrangling and discussion and education um, and thinking that went into what was put together, we understand that they were skeptical of government. And so they put mechanisms in the Constitution so that we would never have to trust these institutions. And I am very suspect of any government official uh, or let's just call it what it is, a government worker a government servant of the people who believes that asking questions of them is destructive to this nation. That is just really scary to think about. That is the foundation of this nation is yeah. to question and that we should be able as the people, we need to have proof. We sh everything should be transparent and that there is, they designed, they designed the federal government and the states to have tension. They were never designed to sing kumbaya and to get along. They were designed to have a little tension and to check and balance each other. And yeah. and we can't trust institutions that are run by people. And while we Correct. want to trust the people there, we only way we can trust them is if we vet them, if we check them, if they are transparent, if we make sure that what those people are doing is in line with their authority and their stewardship. Right. And you know what, as you were talking, a thought came to me. And that is why even this constitution, the, the document that governs our nation and society doesn't require us to trust in man. These are the principles of God. Yes, Such and you a know, fundamental difference. It's a, it is the, it is the difference, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It is the difference. Yeah. 
And, you know, John Locke, he said, you know, as long as we have the correct principles in code, as long as we have laws that are moral and that are valid, we will have a free nation. But the founder said, you know, much as we agree that we must go one step farther, they said, you know, it's not enough to just have moral laws. We must have moral people that invoke those laws that are over it. Because no matter how great your laws are, if you have people that are immoral or that don't abide by them, we will never have a free nation. So I love the fact that the founders did have the wisdom to see that it is very important to elect people who are moral and who understand and who have the honor and integrity to obey the law, the rule of law that we have in this yes. nation. And act according to the Constitution, yes. the principles Absolutely. contained within the Constitution when they are considering law, debating law, and passing law. Because if you think about it, you know, we don't take an oath to our conscience. We don't take an oath right. that says, I will do what I think is right or what I think is best. We take an oath. Every single person holds any position in this country, elected position, they take an oath to uphold the Constitution mm -hmm. under all circumstances. And that is where we really need to focus. But yeah, so thank you so much, point. Carolyn. So yeah. HB 179 was presented and sponsored and passed by Representative Stratton. Excellent bill, did a great job. And it basically, and then the governor basically called on our cities, our communities, our schools, and really for us to make a point to study and learn our constitution and, yeah. and, and, you know, how do we really celebrate it if we don't really know it? And um, one of my favorite quotes from Benjamin Franklin is a nation of well-informed men who have been taught to know and prize the rights, which God has given them cannot be enslaved. It is in the region of ignorance that tyranny begins. And I really hmm. think that that quote is so important for our day right now, because that is basically we cannot really celebrate or enjoy our freedom if we don't know it, if we're not educated on it. It's right. essential. So yeah. let's talk about some of the amazing okay. things that we have coming up because there are many yeah. things that people can do to get educated, get involved, and start to learn more about our constitution. I, I know a lot of I'm, I'm a history teacher. I know it's not everyone's favorite topic. I understand that. Um but the reason that people think history or the Constitution is boring is because they don't know enough about it. Because honestly, once you study the Constitution, you go, this is amazing. It is interesting. It really is engaging and interesting. And it is quite, it is quite genius. There is no other word to describe our Constitution but genius. It is amazing. The checks and balances, the way they protect the rights of the innocent and still manage to have a way to... Um, hold accountable those who are who have committed crimes or who are, who are not doing what's right. It's so genius. It is absolutely amazing. So let's talk about some of the different things that are up and coming. Yeah. So there will be a number of uh, different events. There will be a press conference. Uh, yes. By the governor, the end of August, that will be announcing things and information for that. Uh, will be forthcoming, but people can also um, come up to the Capitol that day if they're interested, the morning of the 31st. And we will, yes, yes, thank you. 
We will also be having uh, an interfaith event that will be in Bountiful at the Bountiful Regional Center where David Barton will be coming out to talk about the Constitution and its importance in our society. I have to tell you, I think that as a society uh, in a state that was founded by members of a specific religion, um, I say this as somebody who grew up in the state where this religion originated, where there were not many of us left. And, um, you know, in a state where there, that was founded by those of a specific religion who had been persecuted and forced to really the depths of hell, I think they thought at the time, um, as they were crossing the plains and coming out here, it is important that we understand that the Constitution clearly protects our right to worship as we see fit and to follow God according to our own conscience and to act in accordance with the, our, our belief system um, within the constraints of the Constitution. And any moral system should not have concerns operating within the constraints of the Constitution. And I just think that we're increasingly seeing the importance of that. So religious organizations ought to be uh, involved in this. And for that reason, we are reaching out and have reached out to a number of different faith leaders in order to be involved in that event. This is important. Uh, and there, there will be some things, even some advertising, some paid advertising around it that I think people will see and hopefully will remind them to be doing things within their own homes and families. There's a booklet that can be used for children, teenagers, even adults, uh, Why I Love America. And our website is whyiloveamerica.com that talks about it. There, we're on Instagram, Why I Love America, one, number one, I think that one is, uh, but you can find that on the website as well. And there was a contest that we just had, a number of things that are going on around that. And you can also go to that website to find a calendar of different events. You can put on your own, reach out to us if there's something that you're doing, and we would be happy to put it on, on our calendar to help drive people to any other events going on around the state celebrating our founders and constitution. Yes, and it's so exciting. It's so fun how many different things are happening and to see yeah. um, cities and communities get excited and get organized and do, do things. And lots yeah. of the people are writing articles. So that's another yeah. thing that I think is really great because that is a way to really educate people and you can, you know, take and read it over the dinner table and discuss it with your family. Have family conversations. Yeah. This is a great time yeah. to engage and educate our children and our grandchildren on these vital principles because they are being taught things that are not accurate. They're being taught kind of a skewed vision of America. Many, many children are. And, um, and you know, what we don't want is we don't want to only teach the good and the beautiful of America. There's much to be learned from that, but you cannot right. learn everything from only the good and the beautiful. It is yeah. important to also teach the ugly and the, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. We need to teach all of those. Um, we need those to are, teach truth. We need to teach the truth in context. Yes. The truth yes. in context. Because as truth seekers, that's what we want. And when we teach yes. truth, we really empower people with all the information that they need to make the best decisions. And that is how we have success, is by searching for truth and teaching it. And then people really can be successful in their own personal endeavors. So we're not trying to make America look like a certain way. We just want to teach the truth because that is how we learn. 
We learn history for reasons so we can apply it in the present. Yep. We need to learn it in context, apply it now. What can I learn to do to have that success? What can I learn not to do to avoid those failures? So I think that's important. I just wanted to quickly say, when you were talking about the churches, you know, if you think about the history of America, it was the religious congregations that not only stood up, but that actually fought for this country. They fought for the freedom. The battles were not won by a national army. They were won locally. Local battles were fought by local church congregations. Those church people came together and they went out and they stood for their community. They went out and stood for their own people and their own city and community. And so um, we have the Black Robe, Reg Black Robe Regiment that um, where the, the ministers took off their black robes and they were in uniform saying, let's go fight for liberty and the author of liberty, Jesus Christ. So I, I think, um, could we put in a, one word for Freedom's Light really quickly, Carolyn? Would that be okay with you? <laughs> um, I, I think it's your show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just wanted your permission as my guest. So that is September 14th, 15th, and 16th, Bountiful Park. The website is freedomslight.us, freedomslight.us, and there we recreate colonial America. You get to meet face-to-face -face the people that created America. You get to hear their great stories. You get to hear their totally stories of, of depression and, and not only sacrifice, but their failures and their smallness how they let their feelings get hurt and they lost relationships and what they did and how they overcame it. And so you get, again, you get to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. We have it all there. You get to learn about the principles of the constitution through activities and through games. It it can be fun to learn the constitution and we do our very best to make it fun. It's impressive. Learn. I went for my first time last year. I helped you. I dressed yes, you up in a costume. Yes. Yes, you look so wonderful too. You look oh, beautiful. it's not a costume. Yes, I dressed it's up. Colonial clothing. Yes. <laughs> All right, Carolyn, we have one minute okay. left. What would you like to share with us? Thank you so much. Gee, yeah, I, I really think what I want to share is that unless we know and understand the Constitution, the longest surviving Constitution, that has provided the freest, most prosperous nation in the history of mankind. Unless we understand the formula and what got us here, we will lose it. Yes, and we it is at risk. But you know what's exciting yeah. is it doesn't take a majority. It just takes 15 to 20% to stand up and we can save our nation. And so thank you, Carolyn, you are so yes. wonderful. I really want to personally thank you so much for being in the trenches, for all that you're doing to not only stand for liberty and freedom, but also to empower other people and to educate them and get them involved. And you really are a great Liberty mom. So it's been so much fun working thank with you. you. I've just loved getting to know you. And, and I, you, you know what well. I love so much about Carolyn is she is a truth speaker. She seeks the truth, but then she speaks the truth. And, and, and I love that. Like she's not, she just will not, she just, she won't deny it. She will just be out there on the front line speaking the truth. So thank you so much. Thank you. Delaney. And we you appreciate you being here. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network. And this is the Liberty Mom Show. My, I'm your host today, Delaine England. I have a wonderful guest with us, Doug Gaiman. And yet Doug Gaiman is the founder of Quantum Management. And he is also just such a great lover of liberty. He is definitely recently, and I say recently, like in the last four years, become very engaged because he has noticed and seen that we have some serious problems. And so he he just is a man who likes to solve problems. He knows how to get in there and get people active and get things happening. And he has been an amazing asset to everyone in our state. He has done so much for our state. And um, of course, most people don't even know it. And so they can't appreciate it. But I would very much like to welcome Doug Yeaman. Thank you so much for being here, Doug. Well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me. I love being on your show. Thank you. You have been working so tirelessly, tirelessly on such an important issue. This is so important. You've you've actually worked very hard on our medical freedom, health freedom. You worked so hard on that, and I'm so grateful to you. And we've made great progress in this state, haven't we? Thank you. It's been it's been amazing because you have added so much to that. Um, right now, we're concerned about a topic that I think concerns every single. I don't think this topic concerns every single person, not just in our state, but in our nation. And and frankly, I think probably in the world. You know, if, this, if people really understood the issue, Delaine, if they really understood it, it would be completely apolitical. It would be if they understood the truth. It is an apolitical. It is an apolitical topic. And if they understood how, the seriousness of this, it would absolutely be apolitical. So you are suggesting that there is a serious threat to food production in this country and in the state. Is that right? Well, I, I think I've, what I'd like to start with is reading some headlines that I've collected okay. over the last six months that more than, more than me suggest that there's a problem. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think there, there's one question that needs to be answered, which is how does food, how do food issues show up? And so if we start with that, with the answer to that question, I think it, it helps. Food shortages show up in the, in the form of increases in the price of food and increases that in prices of food that are disproportionate to the rest of the economy. So, so it, it isn't so much that I think that it, there's a problem. I think the data and the evidence demonstrates that there's a problem. And like I said, I'd like to start by reading you some headlines. So with your permission, I'll do that. The Please first, do. these All these headlines are less than a year old. Most of them are within the last six months. The first one I'm going to read is May. May 17th, 1920, excuse me, 2023. Um, John Kerry declares war on U.S. farmers, colon, government farm confiscations are not off the table. The second headline, a Biden administration coordinated with liberal dark money behemoth on transforming food systems. Third headline, climate policies will shut down farmers. Fourth is U.S. cattle inventory falls to the lowest level in in decades. 
there there is they are are attacking food for reasons that start to become pretty covert. You have to ask yourself, okay, and this is where I struggle. Why? What would be the agenda? Why would anybody want to attack food? And and I right. remember I'm so, I'm pretty apolitical, and so yes. I started from it. It makes no sense to me. So when I started looking at it, and I actually started about uh, 2017 in a study that was done by by somebody that I personally know, Gary Schwartz, who did a, a, a I'll I'll refer to it a little bit later maybe, but. But he he was proposing that there was a global food shortage on the landscape that was coming somewhere in the next five to 10 years. And that was 2017. So I started asking myself the question, what what's the agenda? And the problem is you cannot have a conversation about food unless you include the conversations about climate change. So no, because that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yes. Well, you know, you ask yourself, why would anybody, if, if food is essential, why would anybody want to transform our systems? Why would right. they want to confiscate our, our our farms? And and it makes no sense unless what you have is a is a fundamental thesis for what it is you're doing that climate change is happening and that we are the cause. Now, let me say up front, climate change is, is happening. And up front, the data demonstrates that the globe is getting warmer. Where this thing goes sideways is the assumption that somehow we have influence over it or are at the roots of the roots of the cause. And I, I I will tell you that the notion that we can fix that problem is hubris. There's just exactly. no other no other language for it. So I got involved in this as I started. Uh, 2017, looking at the, the, this challenge of food. And then I began to follow it, and it became more and more evident to me over time that the the notion that that we were we were the cause of climate change granted enormous powers to people running our systems and our government to take control of our food. And I and I don't think that you you can argue that based on the the headlines I just read, and those were not conservative newspapers that were reporting them. Those were general reports in in the media. Yes, and that is exactly right. And there's there's this assumption that that it's our fault, and it is interesting. They're saying people shouldn't get married and have children because we shouldn't have more people here. Well, it, it scares me that they think that 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 they can do that through food shortages and controlling controlling our our uh, the way in which we live um if you so i got involved in the food thing kind of a, as a follow up to the to my concern about what was going on with climate because i began to see that there were serious issues in it so let me tell you the the, the just tell you the rule the structure of the bill that we created to okay, great. It, and that'll put it that'll put this conversation into a better frame. So the, we are creating a bill that we are hoping and intending to get past this next year that does three things. Number one, it will pre prevent the federal government from taking control in a crisis under crisis circumstances of our food production, manufacturing, distribution, and and uh, processing 
And so that's the first thing is to is to make certain that the state of Utah has independence over food, over its own food. The second part of the bill, there are three parts to it, is to, to restrict the executive branch of the of the uh, state of Utah so that on its own, just because they choose to comply with it with the notion that we are experiencing a climate change, cannot impose un, uh, restrictions, inappropriate restrictions on the distribution, manufacturing and production of food. And the third is to then control um, and, and remove the, the, um, uh, the authority from ad, uh, administrative organizations such as the Department of Health and the Utah Department of Health and the Utah Department of Agriculture from being able to impose rules, administrative rules, without the without um, the, us voting on them and having influence on them, and the and so, the representation of the people when people that haven't been elected are making all these decisions. It's very important that the people that have been elected and chosen by the people are making these decisions. Yeah, the way I got the way I got into this whole conversation was because of COVID. I saw what was happening, and that when they declared an emergency, when there was a declaration of an emergency, they, suddenly they had the authority to do things like we couldn't go to church, we couldn't, um, uh, we had to wear masks. They put, imposed all of these ridiculous um, restrictions and and controls over us, and I came away from that saying, well, that was an interesting experience because it was a Petri dish. It was an opportunity for the federal government to, to kind of go to test the limits of tolerance and what, how, how we would behave. And, and right by, uh, one other thing I wanted to say about the bill, we're also protecting the right of local um, uh, gardens, people to have their own gardens. So backyard gardens. So the federal government yes, can't yes. restrict that. And they there are, just so that we're not talking about fantasy conspiracy theories there are efforts and attempts to do all of these things the the federal government has just recently announced uh excuse me people within the federal government have just recently announced that what they want to do is get uh is get biden to declare a climate emergency well here we go again a climate emergency gives him identically the same powers that he had during COVID. and once again i don't remember voting for almost any of that and and in the state of Utah, we complied simply because it was the federal government uh, controlling the distribution of money and giving us uh, lectures on how we should behave. And they, and we had a, a governor, excuse me, we had a, an administrative group that were and a governor who were compliant with it simply because they were really good at scaring us. Yes, they were. They were very good at scaring, and yet. The Constitution doesn't really give them any authority. It doesn't give anyone in the federal government authority to make any of those mandates in our state. That is not one of the powers of the federal government. And so that that's why each state has the power within their state to make those decisions and how they want to do it. But the minute, I just want everyone to think about it. The minute, the, if, you, if you have a real pandemic and people are dying, do you, is it necessary to impose these kinds of forceful regulations? Do you have to force people to not go outside? During the Black Plague in England, do you think that they had to force people to not associate with people that had the Black Plague? It was in their own best interest. 
And that is the same. We we don't really have anybody that has authority to stop people from shopping or, you know, shut down widespread um, shopping or going to church. There's not that constitutional authority. Um, when you don't have to force people to preserve their lives, people will mostly want to. They'll want to do it. It's in, in their most, best self-interest. What we need is to be educated and the true information so we can make the best decisions for ourselves. And one of the things that, that, well, let's see, I'd like to say this, that there are three key needs for survival. I think this is a worthwhile point to make here. Food, energy, and water, and subset of that is shelter. And notice that the three of them, food, energy, and water, are all under attack. They're, they're, Very good point. They're, California is attempting to regulate to get control of our water, uh, which through the through the application of the federal government's uh, commerce laws. Uh, 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 um, uh, energy. They're on a wholesale campaign to control energy. Energy is one of the most essential aspects of food. So so if we look at what is the history so far, just within the last five years. I'd like to remind everybody, if you went to Costco, there was a period for about three months, maybe a little longer than that, where you could only leave the store with one package of meat. So I was curious as to what caused that. How, how come we were, they were suddenly able to, there, I won't say they, there was suddenly a situation that arose where, where meat was being regulated and restricted, and how did it happen? So I took time to find that out. Well, it turns out that they closed a meat packing plant in Box Elder County. They closed a meat plant in Cache County, which then shut down the ability for farmers to handle, to get their meat to market. They, in the course of doing that, they there weren't enough uh, USDA people who could uh, uh, who could process the meat, who could approve the processing of the meat. So that what you had was a shortage all across the line, but it was all federally controlled it, it, at, at its roots. I, there's a, a, a rancher that I spoke with up in Vernal. Um, he's also a, a, a member of the, uh, he, he was a um, member of the uh, county council. And he had a thousand head of beef that he tried to get to market. They have to time it. Part of what goes on with with cattle is there's a, the timing is is essential and to them making a profit. He so he took he had a thousand cattle uh, heads of cattle that were ready to go to market, and he could not get them in. So he had to put them in. Uh, had to feed them. He he fed them. It cost him three dollars and forty cents a day per head to keep, feed his cattle. So he was spending a r- roughly three to, uh, uh, excuse me, he was he spent almost a half a million dollars on cattle before he could get them to market. He basically said, I'm done. I'm not gonna raise any more cattle uh, from that. And so the federal government does have the ability to control it. They do control it and they control it in ways that we don't even know. Never occurred to me. I never even for one minute thought that they would be able to restrict the distribution of food because we don't have enough USDA inspectors to to handle the food at the processing level. Because we think (laughs) that it would be in their best interest to have enough handlers to handle it, but they can completely control it through the Commerce Clause, 
by just eliminating just that one thing alone, eliminating or or hardly having any USDA processors from the federal government, that in itself shuts down almost every farmer in the state of Utah. Rancher, I should say. Farmer and rancher, probably. I mean, definitely ranchers. And this is not just an isolated problem that you're talking about in up in um Gosh, county this is a problem in utah county and farther i mean this is a big problem in utah i have heard farmers give that exact same story numerous farmers through these last couple of years and it's very terrifying because farmers operate on credit they have a lot of overhead and they operate on credit and so they if you can't process that you're done it just they can completely in that one act, they can completely shut down not only the businesses, but the food. It really is amazing, isn't it? Well, you know, and and, and you, you have to keep asking yourself the question, why? What's the real agenda? Why? What would be the uh, underneath this? I don't have all of those answers, but I keep asking the questions because there's something fundamentally defective in, in, in the whole process. The whole notion that by cutting back on uh, fuel, uh, um, oil and gas, that what we're going to do is to make a huge difference in climate change is a fantasy. It, there's no roots in truth in that. And so you ask yourself, well, what 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 are the products of that? So what do they accomplish by doing that? Well, diesel fuel uh, is essential to farming. They, they have to have um, uh, oil for nitrogen to create fertilizer. So one of the ways that they are regulating it, then the cost of fuel has just gone up huge. Diesel is now at at peak peak cost for farmers and ranchers. They have to have that in order to to, uh, make any money. I talked to a rancher two days ago. He was telling me that he said, he said, I I fortunately bought 10,000 gallons of diesel uh, a, a year ago. So I'm okay for this season. But he said, um, I, the cost of hay, the, 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 I've got all this hay to sell and the cost of hay has dropped to point to the point where I can't afford to sell it. Dairies are going out of business. Dairies are the primary consumer of, of, uh, of good hay. So what we have is a cycle. We have farmers who can't afford now to grow hay next year. We have uh, um, dairies that are going out of business and hay that, that is that costs at a cost that nobody can can afford to buy it. So because they already produced it at a rate and now they have it ready for sale, but now there's so many ranchers and farmers that have gone out of business or have reduced their size of business that they don't. So what you're talking about is supply and demand. And, and that, and it's regulated at the of course at the cost level by the federal government. So, <laughs> what are we going to do when we, when when the market finally uh, resolves all of this and the prices of the cost of food go up? I thought what I would do is read to you, um, just for the sake of of conversation, show you what has happened to food prices. So let me go through a list of things. Food prices rose 17% in the last year. Now, that's not consistent with what they're saying inflation is. In other words, it's disproportionate to inflation. Um, So they they folded into inflation numbers 
as a way to take our attention off of what is actually happening. Here are some facts. Eggs are up 70%. They've come down a bit in the last um, 60, 90 days, but they're still up, but they were up 70%. Breakfast sausage is up 10%. Breakfast cereal and bakery goods are up 15%. Chicken is up 10%. Lettuce is 17%. Turkey is 137%. Bacon is 109%, and potatoes are 50%. You know, I always thought potatoes would be cheap. I thought, well, potatoes will always be inexpensive, but they're not. Potatoes are expensive now. Yeah. And uh, we had a conversation with a fast food supplier the other day that was uh, talking about the cost, and they were doing everything they could to keep from raising costs. And they said, we don't even know how we're going to continue to do it with the cost of potatoes. Right. Because it's such an important piece of the of, of the fast food menu. Yes, very much so. Wow, yeah, that really puts things in perspective, Doug, because we do all know that we're feeling the effects of inflation, and yet the numbers they're saying do not line up with the numbers in our checkbook. They're not, well, I guess people don't have checkbooks anymore in our pockets. They don't line up with our actual money that we're spending actually that's right so here's another wrinkle this is a a a wrinkle that is brand new this is within the last 30 days arizona could face its deepest water cuts in 2024 even if lake mead improves and and saudi out saudi saudi arabia is buying alfalfa from um um from arizona now how come we're we, we can't sell our hay and Saudi Arabia is buying everything they can at these prices that are going to dairies in Saudi Arabia. Somebody wow. needs to make sense out of that for me. And how in the world that is happening? What? Where is the? Where? Are the, and this is why I say it, it's a it's a fascinating problem because you can't point your finger at one single spot. No, you can't. You're so right, and I love what you're saying. It's very important to reiterate the three essential parts of life to sustain life food energy and water and of course shelter and even shelter they're all under attack food is under attack energy we're absolutely being told we've got to stop consuming energy we've been we there's a huge attack on gas and trying to go with electricity which can easily be controlled and water even though we have an overabundance of water they're still regulating highly highly regulating our water and of course we want to be wise. We want to store and save water because we could have a drought again. Of course, that's makes sense. But um, all those things and and even our even our shelter and our housing is attacked. And the interest rates, it's very difficult to buy a home or any property right now because interest rates are so much higher. And um, and yet the price of housing is very high, both renting and purchasing. And there's and so, a shortage. And there's a shortage. Yeah. All right. So, Doug, you have proposed this bill. You have a sponsor of the bill, do you not? Yes. Uh, um, Ron Winterton is the current sponsor and uh, is extremely supportive of it. And we are are uh, having a, a final meeting to prepare and launch the bill at uh, the end of this month. And right now the bill is in... Um, ledge research. Yes, it is. They're about to finish that up. That is wonderful. Well, and Ron Winterton is a wonderful senator to work with. So I think that was a great choice. 
Doug, you have been absolutely amazing. And I want to thank, well, thank you, you personally. And I want to thank you for our state, for all the work that you've done to really address this very vital, important issue. Thank you so much. And of I course. want everyone to remember, you are the guardian of your liberty. Thank you. Thank you.